How fertile is your soil? This question might seem rather intimate, I know, but it goes to the heart of the matter. Covenant is the seed God plants in us. An investment in the future of generations. A call to holiness, a call to honor the most high God. For a dividend beyond measure. A little faith is what's required to release the power of the promise. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout generations. That's all it takes to shape our tomorrows. A mustard seed of faith for a mountain of possibilities. A pretty good bargain. Don't you think? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm to you my covenant between the two of us and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And the second reading comes from Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 4 verses 13 through 25. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, then faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be grace and may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. Just as it was written, I have made you the father of many nations. And he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The word of the Lord. And in our two passages today, uh, we discover this ongoing story of God, the story of our process of belief, the inner journey and the outer journey of faith. And we visit an old friend uh, here at Madison Street, uh, Abram on the, the Lekleka. We studied several, several weeks in a row uh, a couple, couple years ago. And we followed Abraham through his journey as he encountered God. And he encountered God in his home country of Ur, uh, starting in Genesis 12. And he, God called him to leave behind all that he had known and to journey out. And God told him uh, that as a result of following God, that God wanted to, to make an unconditional promise to Abram that he would uh, give him many ancestors, that his ancestors would outnumber the stars in the sky. And as we slide into Genesis 15, we see that Abram's still childless. Uh, his only heir is a servant in his house. And he... Uh, Essentially, he was reminded by God that it's, it's, you know, it's going to come, it's going to happen, you're going to have an heir. And Abram kind of goes to work doing it his way. And he tries to fulfill his pro the promise of God in kind of the DIY, uh, self-made way. And the result is that Abram uh, sleeps with another woman and has a child with another woman. That's Ishmael. And at the end of chapter 16, right before this passage we're looking at today, uh, we come to kind of the end of that DIY journey, and we see that Abram kind of thinks it's, it's done, it's set up. Uh, he has a child, he has an heir, and he's good to go. And then we actually fast forward 13 years, and we come to this passage, uh, Genesis 17, and I think, for me, I, it's hard to find a way to enter into the story at first glance. I'm kind of remiss of what, uh, what exactly God is doing in Abram's journey. Why does God wait 13 years? Why does he wait at all? Why doesn't he visit Abram every week and tell him, this is still going to happen? I'm still in your corner. Uh, where do we find ourselves in the journey when maybe we don't know where God is calling us or what promise God is going to fulfill in our lives? And each turn, each chapter that we see in Abram's journey, it starts with God showing up. And uh, as the old Jedi saying goes, uh, so it goes with God that when the pupil is ready, the master will appear. And I think that really reflecting on Abram's life, we go through the same cycle of continually needing to become ready to receive God's word, that we, we go off, we go our own way, and then we come back. And we look for, for God to show up in our lives. And this cycle, uh, I mean, I've felt this cycle in my life for sure. Uh, just this constantly needing God's word to speak truth into my life, to remind me that God is faithful. Um, And we see the time frame. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I, I would guess that God wouldn't show up between those 13 years, but um, that's not really what this message is about. Um, but we do know that he shows up for a purpose and for a reason. 
And 13 years is significant because Ishmael had just been born, and then 13 years go by. Well, that means that Abram was preparing to uh, initiate Ishmael as a man. He was being prepared, he was preparing to make him his heir, uh, and to inaugurate him in that, and that they were preparing that, uh, that ceremony. Uh, perhaps even that was what Abram was working on when God told him to walk blameless and straighten up. And, and uh, part of the inauguration, part of the initiation, you see it reflected in uh, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, as well as in Catholic uh, ceremonies around catechism. There's the ceremony of taking a new name. And uh, a lot of times, uh, nowadays, uh, you know, like in a bar mitzvah, it might just be an old re- a dead relative's name that they want to commemorate or take on as their Hebrew name. Um, but in Abram's time, they were trying to seal the character of their child. Um, they were trying to give them some kind of promise or some kind of sense of self that would, you know, be, this is your adult self. Go out and, you know, and the same thing, you choose a saint's name in a Catholic catechism. It's kind of like something to shoot for. Um, and you even see, you know, when the Pope became the Pope, he took the name Francis. And I think that's really reflected the life of St. Francis of Assisi has really been a reflection of the Pope's ministry uh, in the last couple of years. And so God arrives and in a way kind of shuts that down for a minute. And he just says, hold on a second. Let's revisit what I told you before this kid was even born. And he gives this message confirming. You know, it sounds like it sounds like God is kind of like shaming Abram in some way or correcting him or saying, what are you doing? You need to wait for the promise. But he says, I've come to confirm my promise to you. I've come to proclaim again and the reward and the goodness and the, the grace that I have for you. It's a gentle reminder. Uh, Abram thought he had taken care of it, but... Uh, God has something else to to share with him that he's already heard before. And verse 3 is very telling. It says that Abram fell down on the ground, fell down on his face. He was just full of fear, perhaps because he knew that uh, he had gone his own way and had not respected God's call and God's promise. Um, We also see this happen again in verse 17 of the same chapter. It says, you know, God reminds him, tells him all about what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. And then Abram falls down on his face again. And this time he starts laughing because the idea is preposterous. And yet there's, it's kind of this bittersweet moment where it's preposterous, but yet he knows that, God, that it's God telling him this. He knows that God's telling him he's going to have a child at 100 years old. And while that is preposterous, it's also amazing. And these two instances that both involve falling flat on his face I think really reflects the, the Christian journey. I think that there's some essential falling down on your face and some essential laughing that comes with knowing Jesus. Uh, and it's it really, I mean, the, cel- the ceremony that they were preparing for Ishmael was a ceremony of celebration. And so when God then tells Abram, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new chance at this. I'm going to give you something to shoot for something that will seal your character and be your guide for the rest of your life. There's probably 
a spark of joy that just gets fanned in Abram. He thinks God's coming to, I don't know, maybe punish him, maybe chide him, maybe do something different or change the deal. And yet all of a sudden, God is naming him. God is giving him a new life, giving him a new chance at the purpose that he created him for. There's a lot of symbolism and a lot of significance in the naming, but uh, I think what Abram heard from God in receiving a new name and in being reminded of this amazing promise is that he has a chance to do things God's way. It mirrors uh, the New Testament teaching on the second birth. I think that in a lot of ways, this is Abram's chance to be reborn spiritually. And, uh, and we see this aspect of faith, this aspect of coming into contact with God and being changed and being transformed is really the central issue in our faith and in our walk with God. Um, our inner journey of faith, our outer journey in the world, they collide and they contrast each other and there's challenges. I think that's, that's Abram's deal, is that God gave him this promise and he said, all right, I'm going to go out into the world, I'm going to do what I need to do to make it happen. And the issue of faith for Abram is the issue of faith for us. That we are called to a different lifestyle, to a different standard, to, to be a people of God, to be Christ-like. And yet the world offers us so many opportunities to uh, just to, to grow weary of that conflict, to grow weary of trying to do the right thing, to grow weary of, of trying to love uh, those who disagree with us or oppose us. And there is no condition in this covenant that he makes with, uh, that God makes with Abram. And that's sort of what we have Romans uh, to kind of give us that insight. It's kind of a, a talk and a take on uh, what's happening in this story that, that God is really creating a grace structure for us to, to come to God. That, uh, as one commentator put it, he said, uh, Creation and grace are eternally linked. They can never be dissolved by human faithlessness, and they cannot be created by human goodness. And faith understands and accepts God's grace through Christ, without condition, without owing God anything, and it enables us to step into the story that God has for us, the story that he had for us all along. Despite perceived limitations, it allows us to sing a new song of grace and redemption, of falling down before God and laughing for pure joy. And as Paul calls us on this journey of faith, he purposely investigates this contrast that we need to release that sense of law and that sense of trying to earn our keep with God. Uh, and that sense of some people are in and some people out, that in the Abrahamic covenant, everybody's included. Everybody is given that grace, given that opportunity to understand God's love for them. And then Paul takes great lengths to tie in this idea of grace, this idea of promise, to the idea of resurrection. 
Uh, he says, in verse 17, he talks about the God who gives life to the dead, and then he references the resurrection of Christ. Um, so the faith of Abraham is really tied into the resurrection of Jesus. I love how Paul puts it. He says, uh, let me get this right, verse 17, uh, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. I think, I mean, that's a challenge for me. I don't know how to do that on a daily basis, to really put my faith in a God of the impossible. And as Paul goes on, we get into some kind of murky theological water. It's always that way with Romans, but we talk about justification, credited righteousness, covenant agreements, uh, all these, you know, take me back to seminary and flow charts and Venn diagrams and <laughs> fun stuff like that that I know you guys love too. But uh, <laughs> sentence structure and grammatical nuances. Uh, but I really just want to take a step back from that. Um, I've heard, I mean, I, I was not raised in faith, but I, when I became a Christian, I started to go to a pretty conservative Baptist church, and I, I heard a number of s sermons on justification and I mean, one or two is enough, really. Like, you can, yeah. um, but we want to take a step back from that. We want to take a big picture view of it and put the, the Bible, we want the Bible to steamroll over our academic exercises. The Bible is God's revelation, uh, revelation to us, and it did not fall out of the sky in a gilded leather bound edition, <laughs> complete with index and maps. Um, and neither did God send us a magnificent systematic theology that would give us a glorious table of contents and a roadmap to our salvation. God progressively revealed himself through stories, letters of personal correspondence, dreams, visions, uh, foretelling prophecies, and of course, poetry and songs. And this passage, these two passages that really kind of form one concept of hope and grace and resurrection, this passage gets to the heart that the God of Abraham and Sarah made promises and he will keep them. Promises to give grace, promises to transform us and give us new names, new personhoods. And that despite our weakness, through faith, this great and glorious promise will be fulfilled whether we want it to at times or not. Um, and it is fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is our story. And we, I mean, music is a big part of life here at Madison Street. Uh, we sing every morning and uh, we've had a number of people come through that, uh, that are still here or that have moved on that were you know, really involved in pursuing music as a career, a lot of performance art as well. Uh, it's a very, very, it's the most artistic church I've ever been a part of, uh, that's for sure. And, and as such, I want to kind of transition us. It's not the greatest pivot, but we sang uh, Blessed Assurance this morning, and I think of this promise and this assurance that we have through Christ. And 
you know, saying, this is my story, this is my song. We all have these personal stories that are going through God's story and that we can laugh and we can rejoice and we can praise God here this morning because of what he has done, because of what he is doing, because of what he's going to do. And uh, so I want to invite up those that I asked to be on our panel this morning to come and we want to talk about the music uh, of our discipleship, the music of our faith and grace. Come on up. Come on up. You're all sitting still. There we go. Um, we want to talk about <laughs> the music that makes our faith tick, the music that relates our faith, the music that's touched us and, and carried us along in our faith journey. So uh, we sang some of the songs this morning. So before we get too far, let me transition the stage here. That's what we're all about here at Madison Stream. <laughs> And so Drew and Nancy can see. <laughs> okay, so we can start passing this along as we go. Um, <laughs> we don't have to start with you, Randy. <laughs> so I didn't give you guys a lot to go on. Uh, I just told them to think of a song or uh, just in general how music has impacted their journey and their story and uh, they told me some of them told me songs uh, Vince was able to share that song with us which is amazing and beautiful and um, we were able to sing the songs in the worship set uh, so you guys are already familiar with what we're talking about um, but I just want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of share uh, those things yourself so um, why don't you just go ahead and give a brief uh, introduction of what uh, you know, you, your thoughts were when I when I asked you to be a part of this, and what your process has been, and what song you picked, and why, or if you did pick a song. <laughs> okay. Um, well, hello again. <clears throat> it's interesting when Matt asked about this. Um, after obviously being the senior person on this panel, um, m music I shared earlier uh, did influence my uh, experience when I, coming to know Christ, going to Christian concerts and having the, you know, the invitation up front and stuff like that. Um, but I thought farther back. As a child, I was raised by a single mom, when, and um, I went to church with my grandparents a lot, Southern Baptist. And I love it because um, the hymns, because of that, the old hymns have a special place in my heart. And, and as I was digging through, I, I, the one that kept popping up to me was uh, Amazing Grace, because that is a staple in the Southern Baptist Church, um, <laughs> along with the American flag and the attendance count. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I realized as a child, though, that as much as I, I love that song today, I wasn't, my heart wasn't ready for that song as a kid. Um, as an adult, it just depends on where I was in my life. There's different music that's um, affected me. And the one that still just really touches my heart, and we sing it here pretty often, um, is It's Only Grace. Um, I think the first time I heard that song, I cried. Because the words, where I was in my life that day, it just like, wham. That's what it's all about. Those words right there 
it's, it's grace. No matter who we are in this room, that's what we get. And um, so I appreciated the challenge of being, you know, asked about this because, you know, I listen to music, but I, it's, it's not integral to my life. But certain songs have had an effect on me. Thank you, Randy. Um, uh, <laughs> so the song that I chose and it immediately came to mind was Oceans. And as it was playing, Ryan whispered to me, that's so last year, but it's okay. <laughs> I can handle that. Um, he moved to Portland, so he thinks he's really cool now. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the nineties. Um, all right. But any, I, I would say just going off what Randy shared, thinking about what to share. Um, music is a huge part of my life, and um, it's kind of gone in and out. I remember in high school having the Newsboys and, and all of those, uh, Rebecca St. James and all of those people always blaring, and I always listened to Christian radio, and I'd go and, and couldn't wait for the next CD to come out. Um, and I remember that as part of my high school journey. And then I think for some time I really stopped listening to Christian music and was mostly listening to other things. And then recently, uh, probably the last few years, um, although I, I listen to other music, Christian music has just come back as a huge part of my life. Um, pretty much every day I have on Pandora to some Christian artist, um, and I feel like you know, when I'm working or when I'm in the house cleaning, like I have to have that on. And I think it's kind of helps me with that pray without ceasing. I think I, I connect to music more than I, because my, my, my mind races a lot, as probably a lot of you know, but also your mind probably races a lot too. And it just helps me get out of that muck that my mind tends to go into if I have that music on. Um, and so I, I Think you're going to ask us more questions so i'll just keep that a little brief but that's what music has been for me hi guys um all right well uh when i was first asked to yeah talk about what music meant to me um there were a bunch of songs that immediately crossed through my mind and i just couldn't pick one to be honest um that song uh wasn't actually the first one that i told him but I know I guess since I was younger I mean I've always been sensitive to the words that music has to say and I would even say that um, a huge part of it was music was like a mentor to me growing up um, I don't want to like explain too much but I do remember one of the the things I actually didn't think of until this morning was when I was away at a summer camp when I was nine years old and I I literally I don't remember the song that was playing but I remember it was a worship set and I just felt like there were waves coming out of like the sky coming like over everyone and I think that was probably the first time in my life that I felt like wow like the Holy Spirit is real like and he's here right now and I was only nine years old and it was amazing to me um, and then sometime later when, you know, I was really, when I really got convicted of, of who God was and his reality, um, when I was in high school, 
that was when I started to listen to a lot more, you know, music that was centered around the gospel. And some of the songs, I just felt like God was actually speaking to me through the songs. And so that mentorship had switched over from whatever I was listening to before to like God actually revealing things about his character to me and bringing me um, through different situations, through him, you know, sharing and singing over me, singing to me. And so that was very powerful. And um, yeah, it's, it's always been a, it's always been an interesting blessing. Um, and, and now, uh, yeah, I get to partake a little bit in that also. Hello. I'm really grateful to have a chance to say thank you to Gary because I don't know that he realizes just how much his songs have affected me throughout the years. Um, when times are are happy, I'm singing praise songs, and when times are sad, I'm singing songs of hope. And those words come from the, the words of the songs that we sing, but the voice I hear in my head is Gary, so he's my singing pastor <laughs> through all these years. So thank you, Gary, and all of the other people who've been on the, the worship team as well. Um, the song that came to me was The Power of Your Love. And I sang that song when my mom passed away. And the reason that I picked that one was because it gives me, it, it gives me hope that hearts can change. My mom was not necessarily an easy person to be around. And when I sang that, she always had faith, but it was always hard um, to talk about other things. We could talk about faith, though, a little bit. <sighs> this is nerve-wracking. <laughs> and um, let my heart be changed, renewed, is one of the lines of that song. And so sometimes I was praying that song as if I was her and praying it for her. Other times I was praying it for myself so that my heart would be changed and renewed when I would have to be around her. And so, um, and, and now I pray it for myself often because I need God's power. I need his love and I need him to give me his grace. To me, it's amazing that, that God would be able to love me. And, uh, I had a really hard time accepting that when I was first, when I first started hanging out with, uh, Beth and Gary, even though I was a I became a Christian when I was about 12 or 13, but I didn't really go to church. I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew that God was with me. And um, I did go to a church, and I was uh, it was happened to be on my 13th birthday. It was a church I'd never been to before. And the worship singers found out that it was my birthday, and they decided they were going to sing happy birthday to me. But it wasn't like Gary's voice. <laughs> um, it was a, a Pentecostal church. And... They were doing, happy birthday to you. And I think I jumped out of my skin, and I was, I was terrified, and I didn't know what to expect. So anyways, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. Um, the last thing I was going to say about this was when the kids from Alaska came, and they were listening to music, their response was kind of surprising to me. I don't know, a lot of you weren't here at that time. We had a group of kids come from Alaska, and when they they came on Easter Sunday, 
we were expecting, you know, they were going to be kids and we were going to have a little Easter egg hunt and do a lot of different things that are normal for Easter. But when we started singing, all of a sudden there were like seven kids that were crying and we're like, why is everybody crying? And so I took them all outside and I said, what's happening? And we discovered that for them, when they would go to church, the music was touching their hearts because they only went to church for funerals. And so um, it was really a different situation and a different feeling for them to be in church. Anyways, that's what I had to say. Thanks so much, guys. Um, I have a question I have for you. It's a two-part question, uh, so watch out. Um, <laughs> why is it that you think that music is so powerful or that captures so much meaning? Um, and then follow-up is that um, do you feel or describe the impact that you feel when you're not listening to music? Um, you know, do you ever think back to those songs or what would give rise to a new, what the Bible calls, you know, a new song or, you know, the praise of your own from, from the music you hear on Sunday morning? There's no right or wrong. <laughs> I have no answer for the first one. Okay, I feel like there are multiple parts to the second question, <laughs> but um, I think, well, I don't want to say this, I'm, I'm like praying and aspiring and writing songs, but the reason I say this is because sometimes I feel like there are events in life. Um, yesterday I was able to go to the hiding place, I don't know if Frank is in here. Uh, maybe not, um, but it was amazing. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom, and I don't know how I haven't read this story yet, but um, I guess seeing God's involvement in her life um, and the way that he was able to orchestrate certain events just, you know, in his perfect timing and really putting together how God is involved in, in history you know, outside of the Bible, um, it really brought a lot of a lot of joy to my heart. Um, a lot of just, uh, I guess, connecting in the smallest way, I guess, to that the sense of, you know, where are you, God, in the midst of a trouble? Like, where are you around? Like. Are you even, are you real? Like, are you doing anything? And then witnessing or recognizing that he is and he's mindful seems to often draw me to a place where I just feel like I have to respond to this in some way that's outside of just saying thank you. Um, and so a lot of the times that, that turns into song, um, whether it's, you know, something that I'm I'm already accustomed to, or or just wanting to, you know, say something and layer it with music behind it. Like there just seems to be like a, a pressing in in my soul, where I just need to respond to God and and just kind of let it all out. 
just thinking about like why the first question is like why is music important yeah. um i think the reason it's such a hard question is uh one of the reasons maybe arts programs are declining <laughs> because it's not really measurable or e easy to test or easy to say this is exactly why um but it, you hit on this too just you mentioned theater which that's what i do so i was excited but um i think the reason music or theater or visual arts they're important is is because of something that we can't really describe and um and that's kind of what keeps me drawing drawn back to the arts um and gosh i don't know how to eloquently say it but i think it's like we serve a creator god and he's created it so it must be important mm. um and he's he's a gifted certain people with the ability to keep creating music or theater or the arts and each one of you has one of those inside of you whether you do it or not and so one of the conversations I have with my students is um, is art essential or is it peripheral uh, when we think of where we give our money our time and um, I think the answer is essential and so but oftentimes we treat it as peripheral Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in um, new clothing, when maybe I don't really need it. Um, but I'm not gonna invest in the the arts or or even my own my own time because I feel I'm not good at it or it's I don't I don't want to face that inside myself. But when you really look at it, I think that whatever artistic medium that you like or that you're drawn to gives you something that you know. Um, other things can't give you. Um, and so I think it's as simple as that. We just have to to just say it is important um, and, and we have to support it um, and we have to do it. Um, and I know for me, like, I don't really like doing things I'm not good at, but, um, and I wasn't really good at theater when I started, although I was in high school and I had a couple teachers who told me I, were, I was, but looking back, like I, you know, I've grown so much, and so whatever it is that maybe you're sitting on that you like, but you but it, it frustrates you, just keep doing it because it's going to give you something that um, that you would never have. It's what I find music does; it lifts me out, or theater, or stories, or so. If I do feel I'm kind of stuck in some place, it, it helps me elevate myself out of it. Particularly worship music, and realize that whatever my situation is, it's. It's much better than maybe what Satan is telling me, the lies that might be circulating. Mm -hmm. and, and there is that our God is a God of the impossible. And so I think worship music helps me remember that the impossible is possible. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, trying to answer your first question, what, sure. why is music's affect us the way it does? Um, or why is it so powerful? I don't know. I do know that um, it's, th you know, I'm, I'm kind of a um, guarded person mm -hmm. um, emotionally. And maybe it's my generation, maybe my upbringing, I don't know. But I do know that um, it's through different kinds of music, uh, particularly worship music, that um, the, the guards, that guarding goes away mm. and, and emotions can well up. Don't again. It can be uh, orchestral, it can be an opera, you know. It can be a, a really great metal band. I don't know, but <laughs> sometimes it just 
it it breaks those barriers and it's just how we're made up and I I'm grateful for that um, the second part being without music there are periods in our lives where our music tastes change um, but also there's times where for me I know that um, I need I turn off the music um, spend a lot of time in my car alone and sometimes I just turn the noise off and spend it in silence you know um, and then there's other times where I, I crave that music and there sometimes I'll be listening to a secular station and there'll be other times where I just want to hear the name Jesus so then I'll find a Christian radio station just just I, I don't even have to know the song or know the words but I want to hear the name Jesus mm -hmm. because there's nowhere else I'm hearing it and then my I, my soul just craves it so that's kind of kind of both I just think that we have an emotional connection to music that can't be replaced by any other form. And um, for me personally, when what's important is that I can remember the words. Mm. I have a very good memory for remembering the words of songs. I may not always remember the tune, and if even if I remember the tune, it doesn't mean that I can reproduce the tune, right, Gary? <laughs> but I... Um, I remember the words, and the words really, really resonate deep inside me, and I just love that. Um, when I, I oftentimes will turn off the music as well, um, some ear issue, I don't know. So remembering the words and hearing something a cappella for me is wonderful. Yeah. So, so. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I have one more question, and then if anyone else here has any question they'd like to ask or you know put up for discussion I would love to to share that as well but uh, my last question for you guys is um, a lot of times it's really and I especially experience this a lot in my early faith uh, it's really fun and great to just be in a room of people singing the same song together you know I went to all these youth rallies and did all this stuff there's a lot of, uh, you know, the humanist church and uh, things like that. They sing songs together, too, uh, and they seem to like that as well. And so how do we go from emotionally and just feeling good about singing, how do we go to connecting on a story level through that song? Or do you have a moment where you, you experience that that you could share? <laughs> Get this thing away from me. <laughs> it's easy for me to talk, so I'll just start trying to think specifically. Well, one I thought that I had that kind of also addresses your question is something that fascinates me about music, and I kind of wish that I was better at it, um, and wish sometimes I didn't have to do theater and I could do music, because I feel like it's um, a language that everyone understands, even mm. if it's in another language. I'm so drawn to it, and I actually really enjoy listening to, I'm learning Arabic, so I love listening to Arabic music, because it tells me a little bit about the culture, too, like what music that they like, which kind of makes me, 
um, happy in a certain way, even if it's not my type of music. Um, and so what I love about music, how it, it spans cultures. And if you're in a room of people singing music in a different language, it brings a different kind of joy or interest. Um, versus maybe if I'm just watching TV in another language, I might pass over it. Um, but music is something we're drawn to it. But I think to address your question, I'll just talk about the song that I chose, Oceans. Just the imagery in it and how music um, uses imagery, um, sometimes more than the literal, to kind of stimulate your own response or story. And so just this idea, and, and I actually think about this song a lot um, because I've, it, it's been a part of a kind of a really hard three years for me. Um, and so even right before I go in the classroom and I just... Um, feel really like I don't want to be there. I don't want to be at my job. Anyhow, some of you know <laughs> that story, but I'll just think of that image of you call me out upon the waters and how um, I I'm called to be there. Um, that is where I have to be. I, I shouldn't fight it. I should actually lean into it and see what God has for me. Um, I'm called to be, you know, in the place that I am. Um, and so instead of kind of staying I guess on the on the boat, those waters is where he has me. And the more I fight it, the more I'm going to have panic attacks, the more I'm going to have um, tears and anxiety and all the stuff that I've kind of been going through for uh, a little bit. And thank God that season is passing. But um, I think a lot of it is me fighting it and me being like this little kid throwing a tantrum and, and, and drowning <laughs> rather than feeling like, wow, I... I can be as brave as the people in the Bible um, and actually walk on water. Um, and I am, I am just as special as the people God put in the Bible because uh, he created me. And I think that's something I've been missing my whole life is that I just almost like the pride of, of, of self-pity. <laughs> uh, why, why am I? No, like I can be just as great through Christ only um, to be the one that can that can tread on the in those deep waters and have that powerful story like I could look back at the end of my life and be like wow what a story and I just don't think I think this the that song has kind of helped me see that and every time I sing it I almost feel like better than I am that yeah I got this I'm a warrior I'm brave I am um, I am the one that God called um, so, yeah, that's what it's done for me. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I think as far as, uh, you know, worshiping with other people, singing with other people, it really does a lot to uh, align our experiences. Mm. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about emotion and and you know the feeling that we get from listening to songs and it's always um yeah really beautiful to me um, during worship just to you know notice like wow there's other people that are experiencing something you know in their life to where this song whatever it is is you know it's drawing something out of them you know because we see our surfaces we see you know the clothes that people wear and we talk and sometimes it's not so deep you know but but when you're um in worship and and people are just pouring out their hearts it's like wow i'm 
I'm actually around, you know, other living people that have deep stuff going on and they connect, you know, we're, we're gathering around this one point of this song that means many different things to us. And so, I don't know, it just being in the midst of that, um, it's also really, I think, really humbling for me, too, because, you know, instead of just thinking about your own your own situation, it's like, okay, wow, God, like, there's so much that you're doing that I cannot see and I will never really witness um, because I only have, you know, this life is my life. Um, and yet I can, I can know, um, it's almost like a testimony to me to know that there's others that are feeling the same way. And I think that the, like I too heard about the humanist movement and doing that, I was just like, man, if they only knew the real meaning of it. I think that God gave us music. Um, this kind of goes back to your second question, but I think he gave us music almost also as a reminder that um, like even as God created the family to be a unit, um, he gave us music to to bring us into that unity. Um, and like she was saying, like even if you don't know the the language per se, there's still something about the you know the sound that can that can bring you to a point, and it's like everyone just is in that atmosphere. Um, so that's why you should be careful what you listen to. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the the thing that. I think describes it for me, um, the the centering of you know your mind and also what you're feeling inside. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I want to be, give a huge thanks to these guys for helping me out and taking a chance. And uh, I just want to conclude our time and before Jeff comes up to send us out to, with the reading of Psalm 22, the last eight verses. Uh, Psalm 22, it says, uh, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, all you descendants of Israel, honor and revere Him. For He has not despised or disdained. He has not hidden His face. He has listened to your cries for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you. Uh, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules all the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and all who go down in dust will kneel before him those who cannot keep themselves alive, for posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn for what he has done.